The views and opinions of the EDGE podcast do not necessarily represent those of Education USA, U.S. Department of State, or the U.S. government. Welcome to The Edge, the Education USA Global Exchange Podcast, broadcasting from the central nervous system of our global network, Washington, D.C. Well, hey, Dina, it's great to see you again. It's been a little while because I know you were on our side of the desk for a while here uh, in NAGAP and graduate enrollment, but thanks for reaching back out, and I know you're working with Education USA, so tell us a little bit more about what EdUSA is doing, and I know you've been a long-term partner of NAGAP. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Adina Archer, and I'm the operations manager uh, for the Education USA Global Services here at the Institute of International Education. And you are correct. I have about 20 years of experience in graduate enrollment management on the <laughs> university side. So, yeah, and so we are excited to be here today with you. We've been wanting to partner with you guys, um, and we thought trying to drop an episode here perhaps as part of a larger a larger series for our graduate folks um, is really important i can tell you that i would like to see more from the network on on the graduate side and as you know graduate um, is a little bit messier than undergrad uh, so it's harder to train folks train advisors um, on grad because you sort of have to go uh, discipline <laughs> discipline by <laughs> discipline but it's something that i've been really focused on since i since i joined on this side and so i'm happy to be here i'm happy to be here to talk talk with you guys we could talk a little bit about ed usa um, I think for our audience, if you don't mind giving an intro to NAGAP and what you all do, that would probably be helpful. Yeah, so I know that we're, we're partnering here to kind of co-brand and co-release a podcast, so we're excited to be part of that with you and, and perhaps some future episodes, as you mentioned. Uh, my name is Marcus Hanscom. I'm the Director of Graduate Admission at Roger Williams University in Bristol, Rhode Island, and I'm one of podcast hosts uh, on the NAGAP report for NAGAP. And, have roamed around NAGAP for a while and been on the board and so on. So it's a really great organization that's dedicated to graduate enrollment management issues. We officially kind of bill ourselves as the Association for Graduate Enrollment Management and now encompass graduate enrollment professionals from around the U.S. but also internationally. Our largest international contingent is largely from Europe and Canada, although we've expanded to Asia and other areas as well. We were kind of a homegrown organization where there was a need, as you can imagine, for graduate enrollment to have a place to go. We started in 1987 at a small meeting in Sturbridge, Mass., if my my history is serving me right. And they were kind of a New England-based group that just wanted to get around the table and share common issues. And that really grew into what's become the, it was the National Association for Graduate Admissions Professionals. Uh, and then we kind of rebranded and refocused about 10 years ago, maybe a little less, on graduate enrollment management to really reflect the depth and the breadth of the work that we all do. We all wear so many hats, as you know very well, Adina. Cross admissions, financial aid, uh, international support services, student services, alumni engagement, and so on. So there's a really a whole kind of gamut of work that's represented in NAGAP and among our professionals. And we're always looking at ways that we can kind of support our graduate students more holistically. And as you mentioned, it's really hard to train folks on kind of that discipline-specific piece of our work that's so critical that we can't just one-size-fits-all this whole thing. And that just gets even more complex when you bring international students into the mix. And I know you were mentioning that the new Open Door report was showing some changes on the graduate enrollment numbers. I wonder if you could tell folks a little bit about that and how that's tipped the scales recently. Yeah, and, and you know, obviously, in large part due to the pandemic, but 
Um, I believe, I can go back and look at these numbers, but I believe um, last time we had more graduate students, international graduate students in the United States than undergrad was 2011-2012. And then we sort of saw grad as undergrad takeover as um, more, we were, we were receiving more undergraduate students um, from international locations. And that has now flipped back to grad. So historically, international enrollments were grad, you know, a lot of grad, a lot of grad. And then sort of in the early 2000s, we, we sort of saw that switch. Um, and I think when with the rise of China and the opening up of China post in the 90s and um, all of that came this explosion of undergrads. When I say explosion of undergrads, there are still a lot, a lot um, of graduate, international graduate students in the United mm -hmm. States. But now we're starting to see that rise again, um, which is really exciting. And that makes this conversation even more timely. And I did want to touch on one thing you just said, which is really important, um, sort of the difference between graduate and undergraduate. And um, this is a broad brush, <laughs> um, but but you're right in that by and large, we see for undergrad, you, you tend to have an admissions office and, and they obviously are doing um, recruitment and maybe they'll have some marketing and maybe they'll have a little bit of financial aid, but in, in most grad offices, you're just kind of doing all of it, right? From soup to nuts, you're doing the market research, <laughs> all, you know, all the recruiting, you're dealing with um, all of the admissions, credential evaluation, financial aid packages. We have some grad offices that are that their own DSOs and their own, they're submitting their own I-20s. And, you know, they, these tend to be really comprehensive offices, uh, which is really great because it's really nice to have that sort of 30,000 foot view uh, when you're doing this work. But it also means that you have to be a jack of all trades, mm. right? In, in all this and a master of none. So, so that's important. And I wanted to acknowledge that as we move into this conversation. Yeah, we have a lot of other duties as assigned. <laughs> this kind of expanded in <laughs> yes. our work. Um, and it's an interesting yep. context right now, because obviously the pandemic has kind of exacerbated a lot of the enrollment issues that we've all had. But we know, at least domestically, that the high school population is expected to essentially level out and then decline beginning in 2025. And we're seeing those declines in other areas already. And largely, a lot of that's due to the recession in 2008. And there was um, a decline in the birth rate. And so a lot of high school graduates, that number of total graduates in the United States expected to decline, and particularly areas like the Northeast, uh, predominantly white areas, um, more diverse areas have some uh, mitigation of that depending on uh, particularly Hispanic populations, but by and large institutions are focused on this now impending cliff as they're talking about and trying to figure out how do we build some, for lack of a better term, insurance against these trends that institutions like my own and many others out there are so reliant on undergraduate enrollment. So now they're looking at graduate enrollment and particularly international students uh, continuing education, other opportunities for institutional revenue, because obviously if we feel like we're providing something really high quality, high value, good education, in order to continue doing that, we have to have the funds to be able to continue doing that. And institutions are looking at how they can diversify their revenue given what's coming for undergraduate enrollment. So I think a lot of schools are pivoting rather quickly. I mean, we've known this is coming, but a lot of schools are really panicked now because they have to get these plans in place. And for many schools, change is slow and new programs are slow and so on. So how do we do this relatively quickly and embracing more international students, more domestic graduate students, different types of graduate programs and so on. 
And oftentimes, and this kind of dovetails well with what you were just talking about, Adina, is that these are folks that may or may not have ever done this stuff before. Um, some schools may not have a robust, and most of us don't have a robust graduate admissions operation. I mean, my staff is three strong here. That's pretty common in a lot of the smaller schools anyhow. And so now we're trying to pivot with a staff that arguably was already understaffed. And so then institutions in a pinch are taking folks maybe from other areas who either aren't trained or don't understand this kind of multidisciplinary nature of the graduate work and also maybe adding in an international layer. So they maybe lack not only graduate experience, but also international experience and understanding more importantly. And the market has changed so much now. It's just, we're all kind of scratching our heads going, where do we go quickly and do it right with the right people? And how do we get them trained appropriately? So that's been a real struggle of late. And I think a lot of schools are really gonna grapple with that unless they can put the, the appropriate resources and support and training behind graduate and international recruitment professionals. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. I think this, um, what did they call it? The great resignation. <laughs> um, I don't know if it was a combination of the great resignation and just frankly, a lot of higher ed folks losing their jobs throughout the pandemic. Uh, but what we see now uh, is admissions offices and, and university leadership scrambling to say, oh my goodness, what are we gonna do now? We're down staff, we don't have seasoned staff. You know, we, we need to figure out this international thing, right? And we don't know what to do there. Um, so we do have a lot of a lot of need, I think, in 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 um, in this space right now. A lot of training needs, and and frankly, there's a lot of opportunity. That's the good news. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of opportunity, um, but people have to know how to sift through all the information. Yeah, and we're we're slowly understanding. I think there's a lot of changes on the international landscape. Some countries are becoming more open, and as we're thinking about recruiting more international students. We've talked a lot through the pandemic about empathy, and I think that's a critical thing now, not only with the pandemic, but in marketing in general. And as you're talking about recruiting international populations, understanding political circumstances, understanding the impacts of the earthquakes in the Middle East, I mean, things like these, there's a lot going on that we need to really support our students. And then you throw in us trying to now, I hate the word capitalize, but that's essentially what, what schools have to do is capitalize on the international doors being more open now and bringing more students in. How do we do that? So really trying to understand where those pockets of students are, what they're looking for, and then aligning our recruiters with that knowledge is really critical. That's why we're here, right? That's what Education USA does. And we are, you know, a, we're a free service. <laughs> um, we're taxpayer funded service, right? So that's really important. It's it's um, it's government funded, it's taxpayer funded service um, to help to help you all, to help institutions uh, navigate that landscape, figure out um, where they should be to better understand markets and, and we're equipped to do that. And that's part of the reason why I'm here today is that I wanna make sure that your audience understands the resources available to them as it pertains to um, international graduate enrollment management. Yeah, knowing that you are a, a resource, if, if you could tell us one thing that I know I personally have struggled with, but I, I'm familiar with IIE, I'm familiar with Education USA, but I'm not exactly familiar with how they differentiate or if they part of each other. And if you could explain that maybe to folks so they understand how they can interact and who they are. Really, we have three entities. We have IAE, which is the Institute of International Education. Um, we have Education USA, which is a network. And then we have um, the Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs over at the State Department. And then they come out to IAE, which is us, which is an organization that I work for. And they say, hey, can you help us run this program? We're really particular about saying that we're a network because we are a network. So we have 550 advisors 
in, depending on the day, 180-ish countries. Um, those advisors are not all hired through IIE. In fact, IIE only hires one advisor, and that is our Iranian virtual advisor, which we can talk a little bit about since you brought up Iran earlier. Um, but the rest of our advisors, um, whether you're in Mongolia or Madagascar, um, they're being hired either through U.S. embassies, consulates, or through uh, partnering NGOs. Sometimes it's through a local university. Sometimes it's through an American spaces. Um, and so they do the work of Education USA. They are uh, they are Education USA advisors, and they are sponsored by the Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs. But where IIE comes in is we offer all these global services. And our big, big <laughs> global service are the REACs, R-E-A-C-S. These are Regional Educational Advising Coordinators. And we currently have 10 of them around the world, and they sort of have these portfolios where they sit in one country, but they oversee advising centers in the entire region. And they're responsible not only for the assessment and evaluation of the advising centers, so they're actually physically going to those centers and assessing them, but but I think more importantly, they are responsible for training advisors. So most of our advisors are, are locally employed staff, which means they're not American, right? Um, many, 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 many of them have studied in the United States, and a handful of them are actually Americans, they're expats. But we require ongoing training all the time, not only just for, for new hires, for new advisors who are coming into the network, but as we see needs change in the industry, we're constantly doing new new training, trainings that have come up in the last couple of years, a lot around, around disability, a lot around minority serving institutions, looking a little bit deeper dive at sort of interdisciplinary studies, things like video game design, right? Mm -hmm. Things that sort of combine like computer science and art and but at the graduate level that so we're doing a lot of a lot of training about around that as well. And so we have these <laughs> advising centers and there's 400 something advising centers around the world. And really the goal is if you are a Mongolian student and you walk into this advising center, you will get free and unbiased advising. And so if you go in and you say, hey, I want to do an English program in the United States this summer or hey, I want to do an entire PhD program in the United States, they will help guide you. They'll take you through a process. They'll put you in touch with folks like you who do the work that you do every day, Marcus. So the one audience are the the, the students and their families. The other audience, obviously, is our engagement with um, U.S. higher ed. And so most of that engagement happens through our reacts, these folks who live around the world. And then, you know, so if you're like, I really want to go into Mongolia, I'm not sure what to do. You know, your first step is to reach out to, to Vinny Flores, who comes covers Mongolia. He's our REAC. He's in Seoul. And then he will put you in touch with advisors there. And then you can decide, well, do I want to do virtual engagement or do I want to do I want to get on the ground? Or, you know, we're just looking at Mongolia and I just have some questions about, you know, some some demographic trends or some sponsoring opportunities. And you can talk with with advisors that way. And so all of this, again, is is free to U.S. higher ed um, and it's free to students. It's all taxpayer funded. And so that, so in addition to hiring and, and maintaining these reacts that we have around the world who sort of do this training, they're also very much thought leaders. They're very bright. They're very knowledgeable. Um, they speak at conferences. We're going to have three reacts at this summit in April in New York with you guys. But in addition to that, we also offer forums every year. We have a DC forum, and then we do a couple of international forums every year. We have fairs. Some of those fairs are free and some of those fairs are virtual. So if you're looking for things that aren't going to cost you anything, you don't have to go anywhere for, you should be going over to educationusafairs.org um, and looking at those. But there are also paid fairs, in-person fairs um, as well.
in addition to that, we have a number of other services which we can get down um, to talk to that's really going to help the higher ed community. But if you're looking for a consultation, if you're not sure what to do, if you don't know where to go next, if you have a hunch about something, but you need to, to bounce ideas off of people, that is exactly what the REACTs do. And that is exactly how these advising centers can help you guys. Well, it's great to see this kind of a resource because I think a lot of us are kind of doing armchair recruitment right now. We're using various sites, whether it be study portals, who I know is partner with NAGAP and Study International. Some are doing actual paid digital marketing on their own. And then leveraging agents. If they're not doing boots on the ground, then they're having agents in country that are serving as kind of our recruiters, which obviously are kind of that biased voice because they're getting some level of compensation for funneling students to the schools that they work with, right? So Education USA seems to be providing kind of a valuable kind of fourth or fifth leg of the stool there that's not biased toward particular schools, but how do the REACs connect? They know that, let's say a student walks in, and we'll use Mongolia as an example, that a student walks in and says, I'm interested in architecture. Your REAC is is to some degree educated on what's out there in the disciplines, but obviously they're looking at all sorts of disciplines, all sorts of schools. What does that advisement look like in terms of a non-bias? Are they connecting them to some sort of portal or sort of resources or do they know of, of people that maybe they are more trusted to be non-biased that they could work with that are here in the United States as resources? How's that kind of conversation come about for them and connecting them with schools? Yeah, I, you know, I think sort of all of the above, and this would be at the advising level, so this would be our local advisors mm -hmm. in Mongolia, often in language, which is really helpful for parents. You know, so they would be, you know, how does the architect, you know, how does architecture education differ in the United States? It's typically grad, some, you know, a lot of kids are doing this undergrad abroad, and so how does that work, right? How does that, that connection work? Um, and advisors are well-trained on that. And then they're helping, you know, students look up schools, understand the value of research and, and who's doing that research, understanding that, you know, all the things that we talk about, about best fit around schools. So, you know, they're just pulling up a list of all the schools that offer graduate degrees in architecture, right? That's what they're doing. And maybe, maybe if they have a friend who they've made along the way, a colleague um, from an architecture school in the States, they might reach out for some advice and hopefully that person will give, you know, advice just about architecture, right? And we do ask our higher ed recruiters, you know, when, when you are coming into our centers, when you are talking to our students, we do want you to speak broadly about U.S. education, not just about about um, about your school. And so so that's that's what they would get. They would get advising on, on any testing that they need. They would be put in touch with, with higher ed folks. You know, they would get contact information. And then, you know, when the time comes, they would get assistance on how to prepare for their visa interview, things like that. So we sort of take them through. We also have pre-departure orientations. So, you know, what they can expect once they get on the plane, once they get on the ground, um, and you all take over from there. Um, so it's sort of from the very beginning when they're walking into the in the door to, you know, to when they're walking on onto a plane to come over. That's sort of the scope of services that that would be offered there. And it can also, Marcus, it could be something like, hey, I'm applying to these five schools and I've I've written this essay. Would you guys mind looking it over? Mm. Um, and, you know, the advisors will look that over for them, things like that um, as well. Uh, so sometimes it's sort of nitty gritty little pieces of it. And sometimes it's sort of broader. Here are all your options. Here's the things you should be thinking about. You know, go and look at this and come back and let us let us know what you're thinking about. Well, why don't we pause there for a word from our sponsors? We'll be right back.
Known for its people, cuisine, and stunning architecture, for centuries Uzbekistan has been at the very heart of the Great Silk Road. Join Education USA this October in Tashkent, one of Central Asia's most populous cities, for the 2023 South and Central Asia Regional Forum. Network with Education USA advisors from across the region. Update your knowledge during three full days of concurrent conference sessions and recruit at a local student college fair. For more information, visit educationusa.state.gov and we'll see you in Tashkent. So tell us if you could, Adina, just a little bit about this virtual advising. Obviously, we have a lot of students that are at risk right now, and it seems that that's to be a really valuable resource for them given some of the other challenges that they have. Well, we have advising centers in about 180 countries, territories, and then we have places where we simply can't have advising. And so Iran is the obvious example. We've had um, Iranian, virtual Iranian advisor advising for several years now. And our advisor now, her name is Amy Hamadi. She's amazing. She works um, with us at IAE. And she's working with Iranian students, not just in Iran, but in the diaspora as well. And again, a lot of that advising is in language, which is really helpful for, for parents. Right now, we have obviously a big virtual advising operation around what's happening in Ukraine, because in-person advising is really, really tough right now. And not just for Ukrainians in Ukraine, but again, Ukrainians who have left the country. And then we have sort of the mirror problem with, with Russia, right? And so we do have advising centers in Russia, but we have a lot of folks who've, who've left, left Russia and become part of the Russian diaspora. And so we do have uh, virtual advising for those students. And then other ones that sort of pop out to me that we've had for a while, Venezuela is another one. Um, and so when I say we have these advising opportunities, it's not just for students. If, if your institution wants to reach out, wants to you know, offer offer something to Ukrainian students or Russian students, you can reach out to those advising centers. You can do sessions with them. Um, you can do virtual sessions with them. Again, all of this is free of charge. And, you know, it's an opportunity for you to to get in to get in front of these students that way. And when I say, you know, virtual session, it's a, it's an hour long session. And, you know, you're talking about something of, of value to them beyond your institution. So again, maybe you're talking about, you know, your, your personal statement, maybe you're talking about you know, how financial aid works at the graduate level. But, you know, you're you're sort of talking about your institution in that process, and that's that's really helpful. So don't just think about the um, the physical advising centers that we have, um, also the virtual advising centers. And along those lines, just one more point here, <laughs> less so about virtual advising, but what we saw during the pandemic, um, particularly in Africa, we think Africa, at least demographic-wise, will take over China by the end of the decade. So Sub-Saharan Africa will have more students who are university ready, graduate ready than than China, which is which is a big deal. But, you know, we sort of did before the before the pandemic, we did like recruit if you wanted to go to Botswana, you went to Botswana. If you wanted to go to Uganda, you went to Uganda. And over the pandemic, we started having regional wide online fairs. And these were amazing. They were very, very, very well attended, very, very good outcomes, again, free for higher ed for, you know, so that has had an opportunity. The, the pandemic, I guess, gave us an opportunity to sort of figure out how we're doing the virtual piece and do it, do it really well. And so we've made a commitment to taking all the things that we've done virtually, this virtual advising, these virtual fairs, and bring them into the present world as much as possible, which of course is, you know, it constitutes folks like you being up around the clock 
which is again why you have advisors, oh, sorry, agents and stuff. You know, I admittedly was not, I've met with the Education USA folks at our exhibit hall, the conference, and of course my, my role is more domestic focused than international, but that's obviously changing given what's going on now. And so it's a great resource to know that that's there. And I, so how do, how do folks like in our roles in graduate enrollment, NAGAP members and so on, how do they really engage Education USA? I mean, I know we can go to the, the FAIR website and things, but how do we reach out? Do we reach out to a REACT? Do we reach out to individual advisors? What's the best way to engage where, let's say I'm sitting in my seat and planning the fall and saying, all right, well, I know that we've had students from the Middle East and students from, let's see, Nigeria that are coming for our architecture program. There's a lot of interest. How can I use Education USA as a vehicle for connecting with those students further um, beyond just the fairs? Yeah, so for those two populations, I would recommend a consultation with our REACTs first, and they are going to, so that would be Karen Bauer, Melissa Deschamps, those are, she. they're both in um, the Middle East, and then we have Diane Weiss-Young, she's in Africa, and they're going to talk to you about the market, but they're also going to talk to you about things like sponsor programs, right, um, and how you get on those lists, right? They're going to talk about advising centers that you should be talking with, and they'll, they'll refer you to advisors. They'll talk about programming, and not just EdUSA program. We do a lot of programming around the globe, but we also participate, just like in NAGAP, we participate in a lot of different programming around the globe as well. Um, so I think they're going to be your first stop, and then their job is to send you out to advising centers and give you some of this other information around the market. We also have EdUSA Academy, and that's interesting. It's primarily been for undergrad, and that's for actually, it's actually for high schoolers, bringing them to your campus. But we have had situations where we've done it for sort of a summer program, pre-grad program as well. Um, so we we offer that. The other thing that we have, we have a website that all of your listeners should get on. Uh, you can get a username and password. You can go in there and put information about your institution. You can put information about like scholarships, assistantships, and fellowships. And you know when you're putting that information in, one advisors from advising centers can see that but two you know if it's if it's a special thing like oh we have a special scholarship for ukrainian students for example they can push that out into the network via social media um, so that's another opportunity as well fourth opportunity is um, just like we have reacts coming to nagap we also have advisors coming to nagap and when we send advisors to conferences we typically try to keep them on another week or so, and we do campus visits with them. These are hosted by campuses. Campuses will you know, take them around, feed them, sometimes put them up overnight. But this is an amazing opportunity for sort of in-kind donation, that would be the cost in your time, to get some of these advisors on your campuses. So look out for those opportunities as well. So for people who think this sounds a little too good to be true, <laughs> um, I, I know that tax dollars support all this, but I'm hearing like your reacts, for example, and if there's a deluge of NAGAP folks calling your reacts, I'm just wondering how it all happens. And if somebody were to say this sounds too good to be true, what's what's the hook? How would you respond? So I respond that there are, depending on how you're counting, over 4,000 accredited universities and colleges in the United States right now, and we maybe engage about 20% of them. Um, and we have a, a mandate to engage all of them, right? So uh, so we can, we can handle it, we can do it. If your listeners are going to the summit, we will have three reacts there. Please go up and talk to them, ask them questions, ask them hard questions. <laughs> uh, they're very smart and, they, and they'll help you. 
but yeah, we, this is this is the purpose is to get more higher ed folks engaged in what we do. That should be our biggest problem, honestly, that we have so much from higher ed that we don't know what to do with it. But that's not the case now. Now, if all 4,000 plus came and wanted information, <laughs> maybe we're not equipped for that quite yet, but we can certainly, we would we can do more, we must do more, and we want to do more. Um, we want to work with the institutions that we've been working with historically, but we also want to bring in new folks. And then you've got a body like Education USA or IIE where you've, you seem to be really dedicated to bringing international students here to the United States. Is there any sort of tension there or is this, do you feel like Education USA really represents what we're trying to do more broadly? I think the latter, there is a lot of governmental support for international students coming here. And the the existence of the network is proof of that, right? If, if there weren't that governmental support, um, then we wouldn't have this network and we wouldn't be doing the work that we're doing. You know, I think that it's important to note that this is seen as a soft diplomacy effort, you know, and, and I always sort of describe it as um, it costs a lot less money to bring a student here for four years or two year grad program or a PhD program, have them, you know, fall in love with the country, fall in love with the American people, go home and, and like America, that that costs a lot less money than fighting mm. wars, right? And so if you sort of look at it from sort of a soft diplomacy opportunity, where, you know, we can bring in just really bright, the brightest of the brightest students, bring them in and and let them see what America is all about and let them have a good time here and build goodwill over time and then go back to their home countries and, you know, build whatever needs to be building or do whatever they're trying to do. But with that mindset, like that is that is the goal. And so I don't, you know, there's always messiness in government. There's always messiness in politics, but um, there's certainly a, a commitment to this. There's certainly a bit, or we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be talking about it because there wouldn't be any money for it. So, <laughs> Yeah. And I, 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 I don't know. I'm sure most of our listeners, you've got to be surprised that only 20% of schools are leveraging such, what seems to be such a great resource and advocating for international students and in support of our schools and uh, support of connecting our professionals. And I think the fact that Education USA still continues to invest their time and efforts and money to be part of the NAGAP annual conference, um, which is coming up. Uh, so for those of you listening, uh, our annual conference now called the Graduate Enrollment Management Summit, focused on GEM Reimagined this year, and that'll be in New York City. So we're excited to be back in the Big Apple. It's obviously a favorite place for a lot of our professionals and certainly students and international folks coming in as well. So we're excited that you're all going to be there and having an opportunity to engage with Education USA and the many other vendors and certainly all of the professionals that are providing some really valuable sessions and things. So we hope that you all can can join us. And so again, Adina, just tell everyone how they can best connect with your folks at the conference and then also maybe just with Education USA's website and the portal that you mentioned. Yeah, so at the conference, they will be there will be a booth in the exhibit hall. Um, and so they're all presenting as well. So check out their their presentation. Beyond that, you can always email info at educationusa.org. You can find us on social media. We do have our website for the fairs is educationusafairs.org, but our regular website is um, educationusa.state.gov, and that's where you can get the username, and you can go in and you can put information about your institution in there. Probably Those are probably the best ways to engage. Um, you can also just reach out to me personally, <laughs> aarcher at iae.org, and I'll ha be happy to put you in touch with the right person. I'll oh, be careful you put that out there too much again. You know, no, <laughs> I know. You know, I can tell you though, 20 years of recruiting, I 
pretty much every time I was in front of an audience offered to read essays for students, mm-hmm. whether they're undergrad or grad, you know, dozens of times a year for 20 years and three people in that entire time sent me their resume yeah. or sorry, sent me their essay to, to <laughs> review. So Adina, Ar- sorry, A. Archer at IIE.org. We'll see how many people actually uh, take me up yeah. on that. Well, that sounds like a good challenge to everybody listening. So let's jump on that. And Adina and I talked about the potential. What we'd like to do is work with Education USA for a podcast series that you can look forward to in the coming months. Um, that we'll be doing some regional updates to help you kind of understand what various regions around the world, how student mobility is doing, and types of things that you can do to prepare and support students coming from those regions. And I don't know, Adina, if you want to tell anybody else any further about how that'll yeah, come out together. Yeah. Sure. So if you've ever been to one of our forums, you know that we always do regional updates. We have six regions around the world. Those are just sort of state department regions that we mirror. And so we do these these regional updates. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a six-part series for you all. Um, and it's going to be exclusively focused on graduate graduate things in those particular regions. So stay, stay tuned for those. Those will also be co-branded and co-dropped with the NAGAP podcast and the Education USA podcast. Well, thank you, Adina, so much. Uh, we obviously appreciate the continued partnership with Education USA and IAE, and we look forward to seeing everybody at the upcoming annual conference and, and hope some of your folks are interested in joining us as well. Thank you all very much, and I look forward to a continued conversation. The views and opinions of the EDGE podcast do not necessarily represent those of Education USA, U.S. Department of State, or the U.S. government.